Ocean Bites Out Loud is a podcast that brings the latest news in ocean science straight to you. Our goal is to summarize the most recent scientific articles for your listening pleasure, and to talk to up-and-coming ocean scientists who have new and interesting ideas to share with the world. We hope you enjoy and learn a little something along the way. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a wonderful scientist with us. For our listeners, can you please tell us your name and your pronouns? Um, my name is Sarah Borch, and um, the pronouns I use are she and her. Awesome. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about the job that you currently have? So I just started at the Maritime Museum of British Columbia here in Victoria, BC. I'm the volunteer and visitor center coordinator. That sounds really cool. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Maritime Museum? Do they have like a mission statement or something like that? Yeah, their mission statement is to engage communities in witnessing and preserving maritime heritage. They actually opened in 1995 as a naval museum. And the reason I got drawn to the Maritime Museum is because of their values, which is inclusion, respect, integrity, innovation, and safety. Wow, it sounds like a really cool organization. So I'm also curious, it sounds like one of the perfect science communication jobs you could ever want. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your day-to-day looks like so far, even though you just started? So there is a little um, science communication in there. I kind of throw it in naturally. Um, but right now, I'm spending a lot of time um, developing a volunteer management and um, training and scheduling, as well as just getting my bearings. Um, part of my job is to take care of our gift shop and the visitor center and maintaining the front desk. So just getting to know the volunteers and getting to know the visitors and a bit more about maritime heritage. So tell me a little bit more. How did you end up with this position? You said that you were drawn to it because of their values of inclusion. And it seems like a very cool position. You're organizing these volunteers. What was that journey like for you to kind of end up here? It's interesting because I did start out in um, marine biology and very strong science background, but through experiences throughout life as I'm an early childhood educator as well. So experiences through that, I've just realized that educating and science communications were my strengths. And I had a previous position at the Shaw Center for the Sailor Sea, and one of my favorite things to do there was to work with the volunteers and to get them into what they found interesting and to help them learn and grow and be comfortable basically doing my job, the public speaking and stuff like that. So I used to love it when I would get like a volunteer that would come in, just study out in the science field, but really nervous about talking or telling people about stuff and just giving them that little push, that little bit of encouragement and allowing them just to spread their wings and, and grow in that. And that'd be my favorite part about the job. 
can I hire you to help me do that for my master's? <laughs> Possibly. Sure. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I think we all really need that little push to get started. And it's really great that you found another position that you can continue to do that. So you mentioned that you have a background in both marine science and early childhood education. How do you combine those things? I think that's something that's a little bit unique. It's an interesting combination that a lot of people say. I've always had a thing with kids. They just were interested in me. So it was honestly, when you start in the field of science, as a lot of us do, it can be overwhelming and you can think of the angle and it's, it's actually end up be leading into a job. So um, it was actually my mother that wanted me to um, my early childhood education. And I did, to be sure. And then I went back to school and finished my biology degree. But it was a way for me to really hone on those communication skills as well as those teaching skills. Because little kids kind of have to pick up on cues and nonverbal language and that's really helped me in my science communication because I could get a visitor come in and not necessarily speak English well or not know a lot about something and be hesitant to ask and by being the experience of working with young children has really helped me navigate just meeting others' needs, basically. That's really interesting because I think a lot of the time when we're focused on science communication, we really focus on the words that we're saying, the verbal part of the communication. Like, oh, are we using jargon? Is this going to be you know, accessible to people? But you mentioned looking at the nonverbal cues, maybe like the body language and seeing okay, does this person understand what I'm saying? I think that's something we definitely need to bring more into science communication because communication isn't just verbal, it's the nonverbal as well. You mentioned getting into early childhood education to please your mother. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also wondering, how did you get into marine science and how did you find that passion in your life? I, I find this an interesting question because I kind of doubled into biology. I basically, in my first year in university, took a lot of biology classes, basically because I had a friend that took biology. And so we never got to go to school together in the high school and elementary school years. So it was, it was her passion. She ended up becoming a veterinarian. Her passion that kind of got me into that. But then, it, it became obvious as I thought back. I was lucky enough to grow up on Vancouver Island, so I spent my summers um, at the beach, whether often at Parkville or Qualicum. One thing my parents used to say is they couldn't call me back for dinner. I was exploring the beach too much. So it was quite interesting when I finished my degree and I remember talking to one of my cousins and he was like, of course you did marine biology. Like, why wouldn't you? Because I was quite surprised. I actually originally wanted to be a marine mammal vet. 
but then realize how limited and how much schooling that would have taken. So here I am. (laughs) Well, it sounds like it was almost inevitable. (laughs) I'm also wondering, have you done any kind of research in the past or do you have anything that you'd like to share that you found throughout your experiences with marine science? My interest has been a lot in marine mammals, and after I finished my undergrad, I knew I wanted to do a graduate degree, but I never could figure out exactly how I wanted to research. I'm really fascinated about the dolphin brain, but that would have taken going away to school and a lot of money. Throughout my career of developing the science communication skills, I really found it interesting in that I wanted to figure out how I could be a more effective communicator because this passion stems from wanting to protect the ocean, wanting to share my passion about something I love and something that really meant a lot to me and has influenced me in my life. So how can I convey that message of conservation and ocean protection through communication? So I actually did my master's degree on um, whale watching, and I wanted to look at the conservation messages given about whale watching and whether what parts of that actually stuck with people and might have affected them to protect the marine environment more. Which is something that's really big here in Victoria. I mean, during the summer, we have so many whale watching crews and so many boats that go out. And did you find anything interesting at the end of that? I did. So I knew when I started this research that I might work myself out of a job. But the idea is that the benefits of whale watching would outweigh the negative effects. So there has been research that has shown that it does interfere with the whales. But what I found is people long term, they did change their behaviors. Their attitudes did change. And we live in a very much, at least in the first world countries, we live in a very much pro-environmental environment with recycling and reducing our waste. And people know about that. But they, my participants really showed that they were doing more effort and more conscious of their impact on the environment. So what kind of stuck with them were the stories. And I, I find that interesting as a communicator because I think we forget how much we are story people and that we connect in that way. And it was the scratchy did this or a mama hammock and her calf or and the names of the whales. Like that's what they remembered. They didn't remember this is how baleen works or humpback whale is this long or or whatever. So it was the stories that stuck with people overall. And that's a really great point. I mean, like you said, we are story-based organisms. We really need that story narrative to connect with things instead of just having, oh, this is how big a whale is. Or like, oh, look, there's this type of whale and here's its Latin name. I think it's a really great practice to try to enact more storytelling within science. And I think that's definitely another place where we can come up in science communication. (laughs) I'm also kind of wondering what obstacles you faced throughout your journey. Are are there any that you feel comfortable sharing with us? I think it's 
the obstacles of just figuring out your own path of like this field, at least for me, was very uh, contract based. I was very happy that I took that early childhood education. It was a good decision, mom. Thank you. She will appreciate that because I had the backup income. But I also, I think the biggest obstacle I had to overcome is to admit that I was passionate about this and continued striving for what I I wanted to do and what I felt I needed to do. I mean, unfortunately, I have, as a person with a disability, faced discrimination and judgment on my abilities to do a certain job, and I'm still surprised when it happens today. But unfortunately for me, that's just a fact of life. So there has been those obstacles, but I think the biggest obstacle was was me. I'm meanting to myself, that this was something I'm passionate about and this is something, no matter the stability of it, it was something that was very important for me to do. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, I think it's incredible what you're doing. I mean, in the face of these difficulties, in the face of discrimination, you're putting out good work into the world and making sure that people are connecting with the ocean. So it's really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And I really also want to touch on the fact a lot of the times our biggest obstacles are ourselves <laughs> and what we think we can or can't do. And I think you've just pushed past so many boundaries and you're here. You made it. <laughs> yeah. Finally. It took a while, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think the passion really is important to have. You know, it drives us and even feeling down or feeling like, I don't know if this is worth it, going back to the passion and being reminded about it, I think that's what keeps a lot of us going too. Yeah. It does. I, when I was working on my master's, I made sure I was still volunteering in science communication sometimes because I really needed the reminder of why I was slogging through some papers and my research. So it, the passion needs to be there for sure. Do you have any volunteer organizations that you'd like to highlight? I do. So I still volunteer at the Shaw Center for Disability, which is located in Sydney, as well as the Gorge Waterway Nature House and Sierra Quarren Schools. I think they do great work here in Victoria. Great. Yeah, we'll put the links to those in the show notes so that other people who are in the area can possibly volunteer with them as well. What's something that you wish you had known looking back, maybe telling little Sarah, what would you have told her before going into this kind of science communication position or even just marine science in general? Use your strengths. I think I was trying to fit the role of a scientist and not necessarily using my communication skills really well sometimes, but also that it's okay to ask for help. I think that was for anyone in any walk of life, but I often would just kind of push past barriers and not ask for help, and it's okay to ask for help. I also kind of wish I knew that it's okay to take time. The one thing I kind of wish I did was to go um, here in in Korea with college and then university, and colleges are often smaller or smaller class sizes. If I did it again, I think I would recommend that 
going to a college first because it's a good transition place because when you're taking um, those hard science classes that some people struggle with, with like five classes and four labs and you're just going at it, sometimes it's good to have teacher, a good professor, or just a smaller class that you are more comfortable asking questions because asking questions is good. I mean, it's what science is, but we kind of forget that when we're in a university class of like 150 people. I think that's really great advice. Sometimes I think that there's the stigma that you have to go to high school and then you have to go to university directly. Like you can't take any time off. And I think more and more people are challenging that stigma, you know, taking gap years or going to colleges first. And a lot of times, you know, you need to build up those skills like learning how to ask questions or learning about the resources that are available to you at universities <laughs> and just being thrown into that without knowing anything. It can be really, really challenging. <laughs> when I took my ECE, I took five years off. And so I came back as what someone would call a mature student. The mind switch, mind shifted. It's I'm here to learn and you're here to teach me. And I'm paying you to teach me, so I'm going to ask those questions. When you're like 18 or 19, you don't think that way. You're so used to the school system and the way it is. I, I also wish that I knew more about other departments because I found, didn't find out till after I graduated that the main well classes or stuff about marine mammals was actually in Ubik geography department and not the biology department. So that would have been good to know before I started my degree. Also really good advice. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the times students see the name of the department and they're like, oh, this is the catch-all. But a lot of times research is cross-disciplinary and the professors who might be teaching those courses might not be in the departments that you expect. And I think those different classes that you take really across disciplines that you're interested in will help you out throughout stuff. Like I, I took psychology courses. I also took like acting for teachers. And I think that really helped me in that science communication as well as camp marine mammals and kind of figuring out what's going on. Which is Again, great advice to not blow off those classes that you're like, oh, I just have to take this to fulfill the degree requirements. A lot of the times they can help you develop skills that you will use in the future, even if you don't see it at the moment. Do you have any other types of recommendations for somebody who might want to follow in your footsteps or develop their science communication skills even more, aside from volunteering? Just be aware that you're developing those communication skills, whether you're working at a grocery store or a coffee shop, you're still developing those communication skills. So don't belittle those jobs that are helping you get by because those jobs are giving you work ethic. They're giving you expectations. They're giving you customer service. And especially in science communication, you do deal with customers, basically. You're trying to meet many people's needs. That would be my advice. I volunteered a lot. I strongly recommended it. I, I did the internship as well. And 
doing it in a different city from your home, I would also recommend that. Like, I did an internship in there for the Keys, and I think that taught me a lot, as well as I traveled, I volunteered at the aquarium in New Zealand, and so just developing those skills outside of your bubble, too, it's really helpful. Definitely, and there are so many opportunities out there. I mean, Science communication is a really growing field and we need more science communicators. There are tons of opportunities, whether it's volunteering or internships. And like you said, even just regular jobs that you might not think are great for science communication, they are helping you to develop those skills. Kind of to wrap up this a little bit, what's something that you are excited about for the future? As we talk, I think the first thing that came to mind is basically one of the reasons and one of the goals I had after my master's was to teach a course in science communication, especially ocean educators, because I think we need that. We rely on the ocean, and the world is realizing how much we rely on the ocean, but we need science communicators to convey that information to help people navigate what they could do to help take care of the ocean and the rest of the world. So I think I'm excited about either studying a course here at Ubic maybe with the education department or I'm thinking more of like continuing studies or maybe a college course because I, I really feel like I've gotten this knowledge and all these skills and I would love to share them. I joke that I want to make a ocean education army. So we could go tackle the world, but that's not necessarily what I mean. It's marine biology is such a diverse field, and I think communicating your research or anything to anyone is a very valuable skill. So I'm kind of hoping that departments and universities see that, and I could develop a course on that because that'd be amazing. I love that. I'm manifesting that for you. I mean, obviously, I don't have any control over (laughs) university curriculum, (laughs) but I really think that would be great, especially here at UVic, because there are so many people doing work in marine science and so many people that are passionate about it and all over the world, too. We need more courses like this, and I think that's a really big gap that we're missing in a lot of curriculums today. And I also hope that we see the benefit of the cross-curriculum. Like, I'm talking about ocean advocacy right now, but I think my job in maritime history is very important in that. And I think as the world develops, we're really finding out that we're not niches. We need to work together on stuff like this. Just because it's maritime heritage, maritime involves the ocean, and that involves the science communication as well as elements about the ocean. It's all connected. And I think trying to isolate one field from another, that's that's not going to work in the future. And that's something that we all need to, like you said, come together and work to tackle this problem and save the ocean together. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? 
I mean, I'm excited also to pursue this research. I found this research interesting, and I was really surprised when I met you at peak how many, sorry, the Pacific Ecological and Evolution Conference, and how many other people were interested in my research, and how it's kind of... I thought it was important in the field, but to have that validation there has been great. So I hope to somehow pursue it or expand it or hand it off. I think it's very important to keep figuring out how we can be better ocean advocates and science communicators. I definitely agree with you, and we're rooting for you, and really hope that someone out there maybe can help you continue this awesome research, and we support you on your path. Really, really happy that you were here today, and we're wishing you the best for the future. Thank you for having me. Ocean Bites Out Loud is supported by CFUV 101.9 FM at the University of Victoria, and the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island.